beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Girth. So we'll just get started. How about that? We'll right. just go right into it. For the people uh, that don't know you, introduce yourself to the nice people at home. Kind of what you, you have several day jobs, but kind of I like. I yeah. I work a lot. Yeah, yeah. Your business card is like probably goes onto the back, doesn't I it? I just have like three or four <laughs> different business cards. Yeah. Uh, well, my name is Kevin Boyd. And uh, I guess the primary reason why I'm here is I'm, I'm the comics relations coordinator for Fan Expo headquarters. And we put on Fan Expo Canada, Fan Expo Vancouver, Fan Expo Regina, Fan Expo Dallas, etc. And so on, uh, like MegaCon in Orlando and Tampa Bay. So quite a lot of shows. And then I also... Fan Expo is coming up too. It is, September yeah. 1 to 3, I think? Uh, September 1st to 4th. Yeah, 4th, yeah. yeah. Labor Day weekend. Yeah. Um, it's coming up too fast, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Are you ready? Uh, getting there. Okay. Because I have two things to do for that show. Because I also have a booth for my store. Yeah. So I, I'm trying to get all my product ready on the weekend, as well as work on uh, all the things I have to do for Fan Expo programming and notifying guests and everything. So. And of course, the store is the other day job. Yes, although um, less of an issue now. I used to have a store on College Street called the Comic Book Lounge and Gallery. So uh, a year ago, we took the store to online only and just doing orders. And then I've just found with um, Fan Expo and then all of my other things that I do, the store has become kind of uh, difficult to manage. So I've, I've actually worked with another retailer, All New Comics. And so he's taken on a lot of my customers, and I'm working with him now. And I'll just be getting my comics through him, but at my retailer rate. So. That's nice. Yeah. And then the third one is you do an award show. Yes. I'm the director of the Joe Schuster Awards for Canadian Comic Book Creators. And uh, I helped found that uh, 11 years ago, 2005, we did the first one. So, you know, it's kind of like the uh, the industry awards, like the Eisner's uh, are the, the comic book industry awards. We are the, uh, I guess, the genie equivalent. <laughs> yeah, right? It's a nice little, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for comic book, Canadian creators and comic book. and Yeah, so we look at writers and writers, uh, cover artists, uh, people work on kids' comics and self-published, things like that. It's neat because it's like uh, I noticed that the uh, one of the panels for the for Fan Expo is uh, a Canadian comic book panel, and it's been like seventy five years. That's mm -hmm. the theme of the, I guess seventy five years of Canadian comics is the theme of the panel. Yeah, I mean, like although Canadians have been making comics for more than seventy five years, um, in World War Two, you couldn't get American comics in Canada, so a bunch of entrepreneurs went out and created their own comic book companies. So 75 years ago, the first Canadian comic book, Better Comics, came out, and it was published in Vancouver. And then, like, there was an explosion. There were, like, two publishing houses here in Toronto, and an explosion for 1941. Yeah. <laughs> right levels. But, uh, you know, one in Montreal. And, uh, you know, they, they did, like, their own versions of superheroes, like Johnny Canuck and uh, Nelvana of the Northern Lights, who's, like, a goddess who has powers and turns into... Uh, like a bear and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> we kept the real. Yeah. yeah, and of course Captain Canuck was another yeah. Captain Canuck. Yeah, he yeah. came along in the seventies, and he's kind of like our version of of Captain America. Yeah, in a way. So right. So I met Richard Comley, the creator of Captain mm -hmm. Canuck. Uh, this was many moons ago, and um, we were. It was a, for a CBC thing, and so mm -hmm. they sent me and a camera dude, and then uh, we went. We did the interview, and I guess we kind of hit it off and just kind of talked about Captain Canuck and Canadian comics and things. Mm -hmm. And when we were done, he's like, uh, I really enjoyed you guys' time and, like, everything. I appreciate that. And super nice dude. He's giving us all this Captain Canuck uh, merch and stuff. Yeah. 
that sounds like Richard, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> super nice. But one yeah. of the coolest things or oddest things that he gave me and the cameraman, Jerome, was he gave us the Book of Mormon and he like signed it. And he's oh, like, I yeah. hope you have you find some value in this or something. Yeah. Like, some like spiritual version of like see you next summer and he signed it. But mm-hmm. so it's like I have this like Book of Mormon. It's a weird pop culture item. Yeah, like, signed by Richard Cumley. Yeah. Interesting that he would sign it. Like Yeah, like yeah. but it's neat. So Yeah, no, he's he's uh, like when he comes to the con he doesn't come in on Sundays. That's his Yeah. It's, he's gotta go to church and do his things on Sundays, so he doesn't show up at the convention. Uh, but he's a really nice guy. And, uh, you know, he's not a hard sell, I guess, on the religious thing. But mm-hmm. uh, interesting, though, that he would give you everyone like a Book of Mormon. Yeah, it was thing, me, so. me and the Jerome, the cameraman, were like, okay. It's just a weird, like, there's no reason not to accept it. But at the same time, it's kind of like a weird, like, thing to, yeah. yeah you think like a signed Captain Canuck or something. Cool yeah, like that, I didn't yeah. really expect anything, too, right? So yeah. it was kind of like a nice little surprise. But it was just, yeah. He's very generous. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories, like, in the 70s when he was publishing Captain Canuck. Like, people would hitchhike to Winnipeg and hang out at his house. And he would have this big, this big house with multiple rooms, and he would let other aspiring comic creators come and stay at his, his house and nice. participate in the, in the whole process, yeah. For the time that you've been in, in Toronto and comics and stuff, you've been a fixture on the scene for a number of years. Yeah, for a few years, a few decades now. A few I decades, guess, right? yeah. yeah. How have you seen Toronto comics kind of... Because this was obviously even before the internet and, mm-hmm. like... Uh, we have a lot of people doing a lot of cool stuff. I mean, Jim mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Lemire is blowing up now. Yeah. Uh, Jim Zub is doing a bunch of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. the Toronto scene's kind of really evolved. How have you... Well, I mean, when I was collecting comics and was first into it, um, like, co- there were a few creators here in, in Canada. But at that point, if you still wanted to work for Marvel or DC Comics, you had to go down to New York. So you'd see guys uh, from here would go down there, live in New York, come back on holidays or see family members and stuff like that. But as soon as couriers started getting more readily available and cheaper, people could work at home and mail in their artwork. And now you don't have to mail anything in at all. In at all. You just send a file. Yeah, yeah, I read comics from like people from Spain, from like because mm-hmm. you can tell like they're collaborating. Yeah. All over the place with like different writers and artists. And sure. I mean, uh, in fact, a lot of comics now are done completely on the computer. So you just swap the files around to you know send it to your colorist, send it to your letterer. Send it to your inker or your painter. You know, it's it's kind of cool. Yeah. What has surprised has it surprised you how comics have kind of evolved too? I know it's a big question, but it's just like well, you know, it's it's hard to predict where we're gonna go, but it is pretty cool to see comics evolving with technology. And uh, you know, I was reading the latest Marvel and DC offerings on my iPad this morning going yeah. to work. So, uh, you know, even though I, I I'm a, I'm a person who loves physical copies of comics and books and so forth. I actually prefer to read the new issues on an iPad. It's like much more convenient, and uh, there's a little bit of interactivity to it as, as well. So, a um, lot, lot of things have changed. I mean, Toronto too is like just the number of creators and the number of different types of creators, and um, you know, so many more uh, women doing comics now than there ever were before. It's it's really cool to see how we're evolving. Yeah, and and if you look at the scene too, like. Toronto is one of the four or five major scenes in North America for comics. So. Fan Expo is huge. Yeah. Like, I've been going to Fan Expo for years. And I mean, I remember too when you were running Paradise Comics and doing the Toronto Comic Con. Mm-hmm. That little, like, I think that was about March or April or so. Yeah, I mean, uh, I started working with Peter from Paradise uh, in 2003. And we did shows to 2007 together. And then he did one or two after that before he sold the show. Uh, to Wizard. Yeah. 
Uh, but you know, we we were we were growing it, and Fan Expo was pretty big then. But it was only like forty thousand people, which t- in my mind now is a small show. Like, yeah. Compared to what we're doing at like Fan Expo, I think one hundred and twenty-eight thousand people last year, and we're looking at we're hoping for over one hundred fifty thousand this year. Given it is. It's things. getting like you have to squinch up a little bit mm-hmm. to get through some of the uh, like the artist alleyway and like get yeah. into the smaller corners and stuff, and it. Oh, and then the whole passageway between the two buildings too is. Oh yeah, packed. yeah. No, I know. But I get skinny because you just you're just collecting kilometers as you go walking mm-hmm. back and forth through everything. There's a yep. lot to see and do. I mean, and if you look at a show like San Diego, which is seen as the biggest in North America, their maximum attendance is 150,000 people. So, so we're, we're hitting that level. Yeah, which is kind of cool. That is cool. Is there San Diego kind of has that pressure too to like move it to a different location or like trying to figure yeah. something out? Is it Fan Expo kind of doing the same thing? Because they've been, it's, you guys been taking over like a virus. Yeah, and, and it, <laughs> it's going to be an issue for us, I think, in probably two to three years. I think we're going to reach a point where we can no longer fit into the convention center. Yeah. Hold on, I'm going to turn on the light. It's getting a little dark in here. Sure. I kind of miss the old school, like, uh, when you see, like, uh, when they had the old images of, like, Marvel bullpen and you see, like, Jack Kirby smoking a cigar and, like, yeah. oh, man, those, those kind of iconic, days. yeah. Yeah, the, well, I grew up in that era where you go to an office building and people would be smoking at their desks. And yeah. You'd see, like, this haze everywhere you went. It was really kind of scary, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it kind of also reflected the characters, too. Like, you kind of felt like Jack Kirby was, like, the thing or something like that, like a very mm-hmm. New York kind of tough dude yeah no he well jack kirby lived it you know i think especially with the thing he was channeling himself so that's why i think they did a what if story where it was like he was the thing in the story Mm -hmm. it was like what if stan lee was reed richards and stuff like that so yeah uh you know kirby was like a hard drinking hard smoking hard living kind of guy yeah and then he moved to california and he had a swimming pool and would invite kids over to eat grilled cheese and you know it's kind of different personality out of california everybody goes out to california after a certain point man like, yeah i guess all... it's the place to mellow out yeah yeah so stan lee uh frank miller yeah. who else you uh, got on the bill we have joe casada who's the president of marvel comics is coming for and we're very excited about that because he very rarely makes appearances outside mm-hmm. of like san diego and new york and he's doing some really cool uh limited packages where people can get a sketch by him uh like a f- half figure or a head sketch and things like that and he's uh, going to do a couple panels. He's got a really cool Inside the Actors Studio with Joe Casada panel scheduled for Saturday. Nice. And he's got some special guests coming for that one. Oh, yeah, interesting. So we got special guests. Yeah. Can, I can't say who it is, but yeah. I think people were really excited when they find out who it is. Yeah. I know on the other side, too, like uh, some of the Daredevil cast is uh, yeah. coming uh, yeah. in terms of the actors and stuff. And Joe, Joe's work is like clearly influenced like the Daredevil mm-hmm. You can pick up those things. Well, that's like, why you mentioned that because there actually is. He's hosting the Daredevil Netflix panel. Okay. And he, so it'll be Joe Casada interviews Charlie Cox and Eldon Hansen and John Bernthal mm-hmm. and sort of gets their thoughts of how um, they look to the comics for inspiration. And you could you could really see like um, his comics uh, with Kevin Smith, Guardian Devil, were an influence on the stories as well as a lot of the Frank Miller stuff. Yeah. As well. So yeah. This is. We'll go back to what's happening at Fan Expo for a second, but mm-hmm. as, as a tangent, like you and I were talking about, like 
the growth and history of comics and stuff mm-hmm. over the next few decades. And like, aren't you surprised or shocked by all the movies now and the TV shows and like, like yeah, none of this it. was it's, like, yeah. yeah. It's uh, who would have known that that we'd be watching, you know, Daredevil and Luke Cage and Shield on television and Supergirl, Flash, Arrow. Legends but it's like Tomorrow, civilians yeah. are excited too. It's not yeah. even just like the nerds. They're like, and they're they're loving it for the reasons that we loved it. Like um, Flash is just like kids love the Flash, and and it's the energy and the there's a little bit of that science behind it, like the nerdy facts uh, mm-hmm. of how he just does certain things. And it's crazy because the comics don't reflect that at all. It's yeah. like the comics are, are very dark, uh, very violent and so forth. So, like, it's it's great that the kids and the families, the parents, like, and, and guys like us, like, I can, I love The Flash. That's a, just an awesome, fun experience. But to, to pick up a Flash comic now, I'm like, oh, like, this isn't, this isn't the Flash I remember. Yeah. Like, I don't know who this is trying to appeal to, right? So, uh, yeah, not, not always, but yeah. Well, especially I think with the, I mean, we're still going on a tangent, but the DC kind of had that new 52 for a little while. Now they have yeah. the rebirth and stuff. And yeah. they, I don't think the, I mean, rebirth is still kind of early. That's obviously yeah. only like most of the books are only about three issues in. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely doesn't quite have the same light. Um, I thought that when no. Flash started, like with Francis. Yeah. Uh, that was like some gorgeous art. And yeah. that was a lot more quote unquote light. Yeah. I love Francis's run and there was such a, you know, there was an energy to it, and you can tell he was experimenting. And you love it when, when comic creators are saying, "How can I, like, push the boundaries of what I can do on the page?" Yeah. With with the like, he was experimenting with effects with the, the Speed Force and things like that. And then um, he moved over to Detective Comics, and he was doing amazing stuff with Batman. But I don't think they found anybody who had that enthusiasm, uh, and uh, and that suffers. I think until the next enthusiastic person comes along which is gonna happen eventually but right i mean yeah. like batman for example has been around for 75 years so mm-hmm. you have <laughs> you have when you've been around for 75 years you have turkeys oh for sure right yeah. sometimes yeah. even like a whole decade we're like well that was terrible yeah well the good thing for dc is that everybody loves batman and they love doing batman stories so yeah they've got a, a plethora of people in the wings waiting to go hey man uh, I, I want my shot at batman yeah and so, uh, like, we just finished, what, uh, four or five years of uh, Scott Snyder. And I love that Greg run, Capullo, though. Yeah. And Greg Capullo is at Fan Expo. Or there's another set. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now we've got Tom King, who's, like, a former CIA, CIA guy. Yeah. He's writing Batman, and I, I'm loving it. It's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, actually, Snyder's back. They just launched All-Star Batman this week. I yeah, I haven't picked that up yet. So I just read it this morning. Okay, it's pretty how, awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's like he's got to get Two Face, um, to somewhere. I can't remember exactly where yeah. he's dropping off, but he's got like 500 miles to go to get yeah. there. And along the way, Two Face has said basically, you know what? I'm letting the world know if you stop Batman, I will, you will prevent him from having all of your secrets revealed because I'm going to reveal everything to the public. Yo. And so you have all these villains and heroes and everybody who are basically betraying Batman, but he's got to get him there. You know, so this is the. Like it's, I don't know if it's five or six issues, but it's it sounds really cool. It's like, and the first issue is really high energy. So, like yeah. you're talking about like Francis and passion stuff, and Snyder clearly had like a vision and a passion for Batman. Like he mm-hmm. set out to, you can clearly see it was a vision, and he just executed it. Yeah, and like even just the way he talks and drew, or just not even drew, but like just the way he kind of fleshed out Gotham City, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, and and he's added that whole backstory with the court of owls and the assassins and so forth that there's a whole history to gotham 
prior to Bruce Wayne's family showing up and doing what they did. Um, so I, I think that's great. And you, you're starting to see that storyline uh, trickle into other media. I think this entire season of Gotham that's coming up has the Court of Owls as the main villains pulling nice. strings in the background. So definitely he's made an impact on Batman history within a short time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we covered Stanley, Frank Miller. Anybody else you want to give a shout out to? You know, or, and Joe Q, of course, Q, the, yeah. the, the big boss. And, and we've got Greg Capullo and David Finch, the Batman guys. Um, but you know what? What's kind of different is this year we've got Margaret Atwood coming as a as a comic. Book yeah, yeah, I saw that. And I was like, what? Yeah. I think they like. I thought it maybe like some like somebody put something up wrong on the website or whatever. But I'm, she's actually got a comic book. She does. Yeah, and it's coming out. Like we're gonna have copies at the expo, but it officially launches the week after Fan Expo. So this is like the premier location. So she's gonna give a talk and discuss how she put it together, how she got in touch with Johnny Christmas, who's the artist, and he lives in Vancouver. And um, another Toronto, uh, well, actually, she's from Winnipeg, but she lived in Toronto for a while. Hope Nicholson is the editor on it, and she put together a few Kickstarters of note, like uh, the Novana Kickstarter and stuff. So so they're going to be talking about how the whole thing came together, and, and it ties in with uh, Atwood's own personal charity. She has a charity for cats and birds. Oh, okay. So, so she created a superhero who has a little bit of cat and a little bit of bird. So yeah. He's definitely at war with himself because, uh, you know, the cats and birds just like dogs and cats. They just yeah, don't get along, that makes right? sense. Yeah. yeah. Is she ready for Fan Expo? I don't think she, she's never been to Fan Expo, has I, she? Like, no. you're not even as a civilian, just no. like an undercover. Like, Although she was at San Diego this year, so she has a little bit of a sense of what it's like. But, okay. Uh, but I don't think, uh, you know, basically she's going to get up, get a drive in and, and be at the show and be able to go home at night. So it'd be kind of interesting to see what it's like on her home turf. Mm-hmm. to see what a, what a comic book convention uh, of, of, of the scope that Fan Expo is like going to be like. Because, yeah, we were when we were talking about, like, comics and how it's kind of all exploded, like, William Gibson is another one who's, like, writing comics now, too. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he's sci-fi, so it kind of fits a little bit. It's not quite as left field as Margaret Atwood, but yeah, yeah. it's there's all these opportunities now for all these other different creators and other voices to kind of step up and kind of... Sure, it's, it's really amazing the number of people from different media that are stepping in and doing comics. And you know you'll get people who've written scripts and directed movies, and will come in and they'll they'll do a comic and they'll say, "Oh man, this is so much easier." You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't have to worry about committees and yeah. producers and all these things. I can just write a comic, tell an artist what to do, and then we've got a story out there. And uh, and then of course they can turn that into a film again if they want to. Yeah, but then yeah. you can also just like all you have to do is type in like ten spaceships and then go take a nap, mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about budget or anything. It's the artist's problem exactly. to draw them and like. Yep. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot more personal, and it's it's a lot more. Um, you have a lot more creative freedom, I think. Uh, you don't have to worry about budget or, or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah. What makes a good convention? Because you mentioned a, a number of uh, yeah. like across this across Canada, like, and I'm sure you've been to other conventions. I've been to other mm-hmm. conventions in the states as well. Yeah. For you, what makes a good successful convention? Both as like somebody as an organizer, but also as a festival attendee. Mm-hmm. Well, as an attendee, um, I'm looking for who's there, who I need to meet, who I've never met before. If I've got something I want to get signed, or if I'm looking for something specific, I want to be able to have a, access to a number of different vendors and things like that. Like, I have a new Hot Toys fetish. I love Hot Toys. I mean, they're ridiculously <laughs> expensive, but, you know, not very many dealers at comic shows carry them just because of the price. So... So if I go to a show and I see Hot Toys, then oh, there's like an hour or two out of my way. I'm like yeah. checking out the prices and seeing what's going on. But um, 
you know, as an organizer, the fewer complaints online afterwards, the better. <laughs> that's know? a good market. Yeah, yeah. that's a. So, uh, I, I mean, it's so much work leading up to it and so much work during the show. And sometimes people don't realize just all the things that we have to do to put something like this together. It's a so lot of work. Like, it is, yeah. Uh, if any, but nobody, if nobody's ever gone, it's like a ton of booths that have to be all set up. You mm -hmm. have to like book all that stuff. The artist alleyway is getting bigger every year too. Yeah. Like, so uh, I mean, from where I stand, I, I have to book the comic guests. So I have 120 comic guests coming to Fan Expo. So, That's amazing. Yeah. Give me five for that. That's awesome. <laughs> no problem. And a lot of them are, um, I would say, about half are local, and the other half are people. And I try. I, I specifically went out to find people who've never been here before. Or haven't been here for a while uh, because we're starting to get a lot of repeats the last few years so uh, so um, they the old coordinator left and uh, they asked me to come back as the full comics coordinator so it was like okay well it, I know if I were a fan I would want to meet new people I don't want to see the same people every year I know I'm gonna see like Ty Templeton every year or Francis Manipal because they live here mm -hmm. but you know like um, Greg Capullo doesn't come here very often or like Joe Casada, or I mean Frank Miller was like uh, it's so weird how things come together because I was just sort of mentioning to someone hey you know so, I know so and so talked to Frank Miller do they have an in and getting them to come to the show and that and and so the, the talks evolved and then I passed him over to the boss and they started talking money and the next thing you know Frank Miller's coming it's pretty and and I know that the fans are excited because you know who like everybody loves Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns is one of those stories that Everybody has to read in year one. Yeah. And, uh, and the Daredevil run, too. Daredevil, yeah. I love that Daredevil yeah. run. Uh, the whole Electra saga. Uh, even when he came back and he did Man Without Fear. And that totally, uh, the Daredevil Netflix series, the first season, was Daredevil Man Without Fear. Mm -hmm. uh, you could see all the little elements of it. And even some of it carried over to the Electra stuff in the second year. But the guys had such... I mean, I wanted to do a panel and we didn't get it organized in time, but like the cinematic works of Frank Miller. So Miller, more than any other creator, has had such an influence over movies and television. And there's so many directors that cite Dark Knight and Batman Year One and the Daredevil run just because he, he set up the pages like like shots in a movie, yeah. in a sense, right? So in a sense, comic books can be cinematic, right? And Because you control the time as a reader. They're but almost storyboards in a way. Yeah. They are. I mean, there's so many uh, graphic novels and comics now, that, that, so graphic novels that are being used essentially as storyboards. I mean, look at Watchmen. Watchmen, <laughs> yeah. It was a great example. Yeah. Like, that was just, like, shot for shot, I think it was. Yeah. like. Uh, it was kind of missing the soul of it or the, the driving of it. Yeah, but, yeah, it didn't quite, like, I saw it twice, like, once mm -hmm. in the theater, and then I went back to it again, mm -hmm. and it was just like, yeah, it's just, it's like when you're eating a sandwich, and yeah. it's, like, missing mustard or something. Yeah. The sandwich is fine, but a little bit of mustard would be good. Exactly, you know. And why? And why did you change it? Why did you change the type of bread? Mm -hmm. That type of thing. Yeah. You know, at the end, it's a little different. Where it's like he may, blames Doctor Manhattan as opposed to a giant alien squid. Yeah. You know, and uh, you gotta sell out to mainstream audiences though eventually. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, like Snyder. Actually, I don't know what it is about Zack Snyder. His movies are better when he does director's cuts. Like the regular cuts just don't don't work for me. Yeah, but then, like, did you sit through the Batman versus Superman director's I cut? Did, yeah. It was better. 
I enjoyed it a lot more than I I didn't like it in theaters. I thought Superman was a wuss. Yeah, uh, I I didn't. I'm just I'm done with that fran like that yeah. franchise. Even Man of Steel, I found it was a very flawed movie too. I yep. just couldn't like get behind it, and it wasn't even the Zod thing. Like, oh yeah, yeah. It was just it's that, just the, again it's just not working for me. No, I I had lots of problems with Pa Kent in that movie and and the things that drove Superman. It was like Superman made by people that just don't know what why people like superman yeah, yeah. that's thank you yeah. that's a real eloquent way and, to say it and he's like uh well how can i make i don't like this character i don't understand him how can i make him interesting to me mm -hmm. and but that's not his job his job is to bring superman to life right and superman comes with certain rules it's like some guy was saying online he's like why doesn't batman just kill the joker you know get it over with every time it's so unbelievable every time he goes and he fights the joker joker's killing more and more people doesn't batman have a sense of responsibility and so forth no that's not batman's job batman's job is to capture the criminal and keep as many people alive because that's like his core his core is that he doesn't kill people I, I blame the state in that case like why does the state keep letting the joker out yeah and escaping and the revolving like door at arkham asylum yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know why they don't do it because it's he's a corporate asset. And yeah, they want to keep using him, but you know, like, and this guy's like, that's so unbelievable. I'm like, well, it's comic books. It's got you have to have some state of disbelief when it comes to it. You gotta you gotta be able to say, oh, okay, you know what, that's not gonna happen. But it's a comic, and I understand the rules of it. Is that it's it's chase and escape and capture, and you know, these are the. These are the goals of the heroes, right? So. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, like, you always, you automatically have to suspend disbelief because Batman is, like, 30-something or late 20s yeah, or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, right. And just, like, he keeps walking out of these situations every time. Like, mm -hmm. he'll get stabbed in one issue and the next issue is fine. Yeah. Broken arm, one issue and the next issue is fine. Like, yeah. there's a suspension of disbelief that you have to have. Mm -hmm. But if you have it, you'll get rewarded. Like, when somebody like Snyder, the good Snyder, mm -hmm. Scott Snyder, is, like, writing yeah. him then it's like yeah this mm -hmm. is good storytelling yeah yeah exactly yeah it's uh, and you know you, you have to sort of wade through 20 or 30 bad comics to get to the other like 15 or 20 really good ones yeah yeah, yeah. for like fan expo and stuff like that mm -hmm. do the is there like um are people happy to come to toronto like creators and stuff like this or is there yeah. because i know like within the within the combo community mm -hmm. obviously san diego is a big one that's yeah. the the mecca that you go to new york is a big one too or a lot of them are already from there working mm -hmm. in there so it's not really it's just walking down the street yeah but is toronto like do they consider it like a market really worth hitting and a, going to and definitely yeah definitely i mean uh, the one thing i would say that toronto has going for it is that uh we have a very large population and we have people who love comics and who spend money on comics and so uh, for someone, uh, and the creators know that they sort of talk to each other, how successful was your time there? You know, a, a lot of them are here to make money selling things, doing sketches, in some cases charge for autographs and things like that. But um, they look at Toronto and they say, this is a good show. We get a lot accomplished here. We meet a lot of people. Uh, we sell a lot of sketchbooks and art books and and prints and original art and sketches and things like that so they the fans are really receptive i see lineups yeah. for like a lot oh, huge, of yeah. yeah and and everybody's trained it's like because fan expo has always been like the same time every year people save up all summer and they go okay i know fan expo is coming i, I want to have at least like a thousand dollars set aside so i can spend it on geeky stuff yeah you know like the cosplayers too they yeah. they will like work for the whole year 
yeah getting their costume just right and every yeah. little piece and like oh yeah yeah because it's it's the it's like a fashion show in a sense right you got to work on your costume and then be seen in it and they do all of these photo shoots and and stuff around the convention so it's pretty amazing that, that community's uh, really grown that's that's something i never would have predicted because you know people like to dress up but it was sort of like uh, put on a superman t-shirt or something like that and that's as far as i go like i just do the t-shirt and then i'm like i'm done i don't have the uh because the thing is now is like the cosplay is so good like you were saying if you don't like if you can't just do like iron man in like cardboard or something like that like Mm -hmm. if you don't come with it correctly they will (laughs) they'll they'll let you know yeah so uh, i can't do it like half-assed so i'm like no and people spend thousands on their costumes yeah uh, they spend a lot of money and they import in special items made for costumes and stuff i our only thing is we have to watch out for weapons and stuff like that so sometimes the weapons have to you know they have to be plastic or cardboard they can't be metal in any way so we have to screen everybody that comes in for that but other than that you know people uh, are getting creative in how they can make a plastic uh, sword look like a real sword. So, yeah. yeah. You talked about, like, the um, the complaints and stuff like that. That's how you measure the sign of a good show. Is mm-hmm. there any sort of, like, consistent complaints or frustrations that people have with Fan Expo, or well, is it kind of just the usual overcrowding kind of thing? There's always... People are always concerned about line lineups, and I think that... Fan Expo has t- uh, taken a lot of steps uh, since there was one year when it was just too crowded and they locked the doors. Mm-hmm. That was 2010, I think. We were in the North Building, and I think at that point we said, "Okay, we can't have this happen again." So we're gonna we're gonna get both sides of the convention center and uh, and spread out as much as possible, and then keep an eye on uh, attendance so that we don't have the fire marshal shutting us down in any way. And uh, so that's our big concern, and, and we'd hear complaints of people who are like, I waited two hours in line to get in, and that's they paid good money to come into the show. We want them in the show, spending money with the vendors, meeting guests, uh, talking to people, taking pictures, buzzing about it on social media, all that stuff. So to have people stand in line and say, third hour in line, you know, yeah. like at Fan Expo fail, that kind of thing. We don't want to see that. We want We want them in and happy and enjoying themselves. So that that's our, our that's been the goal, and I think we've got it down to a real art now, as far as getting people the f- the number of like to move. I mean, so 128,000 people, and we ha- we don't double count for different days. So we that total is based on you know the number of people who buy weekend passes plus the single days for each day. So let's say any given day, you've got 60, 70,000 people, 70,000 people in the hall, especially. When you look at Saturday, when there may be as many as a hundred thousand people in the room. Yeah, I don't even do yeah. this Saturday anymore. Now I can't. I, we, we don't. It's I got like, bounced out of that. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. So it's 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 uh, working there. It's terrible because I, I have to get creators from the, the floor up to the panel rooms, and sometimes it takes like half an hour to forty five minutes That's to walk crazy. from one door up an escalator to another door. Yeah. So so we got to have a lot of runners and and get things moving in advance, but. Um, you know, that, that side of things, I think, is really working well. So for me, it's more like complaints about people who don't feel that they got value out of something that they paid for. Like, uh, oh, I bought the Frank Miller experience. I don't feel I got the value out of it. Or I don't feel I got the, you know, and, and we're offering a lot more of these uh, specialized, unique meet and greet type of opportunities where you can say, hey, you know what, if you want, we can arrange for you to spend, you and nine other people to spend an hour with Joe Casada. 
and you get as much one-on-one -on -one as you want and he'll draw you a sketch and he'll sign your books for you and you can ask him any question you want and uh but that you know we're obviously we're paying for joe's time so he has uh fees for how much he'll charge for that and so forth and we have to to set aside and rent rooms for that and so forth but i don't want to have someone's turn around and say oh I, I paid like 800 bucks for that and i feel like i was ripped off i want people to walk out of the room and say that 800 bucks was the best 800 bucks i spent because yeah. look at how look at what the time i spent with with uh, joe look at the sketch i got you know he signed my comics and i learned so much about what how marvel works and stuff so that's that's the big thing for us that is nice yeah, yeah. So you, you kind of alluded to it, but just kind of flesh it out. I'm curious, too. How does it work then? So you decide you want to have Joe Q come or mm -hmm. Frank Miller come. Like, yeah. do you just, like, you have a Rolodex of these people? Or, like, how does the well, conversation kind of in start? In some cases, like, uh, we know them. Like, we're friends or we've got the contact information ahead of time or we've met them many times in the past. Like, like the head of the convention is friendly with Joe Casada, so he can just call him up and say, Hey, Joe, this is the year. we got to have you back up. What are we going to do? So uh, they talk and, and they work out a deal because he'll say, I want X amount of dollars. I want, uh, you know, I, this is how much my time is worth. Because I'm like the head of Marvel Comics, when I do my signings, it's going to be free signings in public. And he's doing free signings for the two days he's at the event. Um, but, you know, it's like uh, you hammer out a deal. And then they come in and they work it out and they say, okay, well, what if we did, like, let's try and create some, like, interesting, unique things for fans to to come and see so like what can we do programming wise and so joe will say well like here's what i do at you know i always do a cup of joe panel mm -hmm. but why don't we do like this inside the actor's studio type of thing where we talk about marvel movies and we talk about movie making and comics and how it fits together and and then uh, and then we're looking at the netflix daredevil thing and we're like well joe why don't you host that he's like well i know them all because yeah. I'm involved with the TV side of things. So sure, I'd be happy to do that. It's like a conversation on stage with friends and it's a lot more enjoyable when the I think when the moderator knows the participants. So So, you know, th those are the types of things that that drive us. I mean, with as I said with Frank Miller, it was a question of uh, I keep my ear out. There are certain creators who obviously we love to see do a show who never do shows. So you're always looking for that connection that will get you in the door and convince them to come in and then for me it's just like I, I'll open the door a little bit and then uh, my boss will talk to them about the, the deal and mm -hmm. he'll work out a deal with them he's so, the heavy yeah well he's not the heavy he's he's just very realistic about numbers and how much the show can spend and uh, how much he thinks that they could make and how much you know uh, what we can do for them as far as because for for a guest too it's all about the experience you know like are you going to fly me in are you going to put me in a hotel are you going to provide me with meals are you going to give me a fee mm -hmm. uh you know if i'm leaving my house i want like i gotta put on say, pants yeah exactly so i i can play video games and watch movies at home and collect royalty checks or I can come to Toronto. How much are you going to pay me to put those pants on and turn off my Xbox and yeah, yeah, do all that? And That's so, the eternal challenge of life. Yeah. So like uh, like Mark Hamill is our superstar celebrity guest this year, right? And and I'm amazed we have Mark Hamill coming because he very rarely does shows. And that's a twofer, not just with Star Wars, but with like the voice of the Joker. Yeah, yeah, the Killing Joke movie just came out too. Yeah. So, and we're I think we we just passed the 25th anniversary of the animated series. It's so, been 25 years. Yeah. Oh that man, was like 92. We're not so, young people anymore at all, no. are we? 
Now all of our, our stuff is aging. Well, we're aging faster. That's yeah. the thing is <laughs> everything seems to be going faster every year. Time moves, I guess it's all relative, right? So for these kids, it seems like they have these eternal summers. But Yeah, I know. You know for me, it's like, whoa, it's August uh, 11th or whatever yeah. today is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Uh, the, you've already made a number of announcements to stuff. Who are the fans seem to be kind of clamoring or excited about? Like, have you started well, to pick up any of the noise or the buzz or the... Well, on the comic side, the, the questions I get asked the most are, when is Stan Lee signing? When is Stan Lee talking? Is Stan Lee doing a private, uh, like, an event? And he's doing a breakfast on s- one of the mornings. Isn't that yeah. amazing that, mm-hmm. like, you just listed, like, Joe Q., Frank Miller, like uh, Greg Polo, like who just had a successful run on Batman, like yep. just literally finished it, like. Yeah. And then people are just still, in 2016, still just wanting, clamoring for Stan Lee. Oh yeah, Stan Lee is like he's the big guy. He's he is, I mean everybody knows him too from the movies and you know the fact that he created all of the characters too that everybody loves in the movies. Yeah, you know, we talked about Batman, Superman. And we all have complaints about it, but uh, you know very few complaints about Civil War. Yeah, you know, and and Captain Tons America, of fun. yeah, like Marvel has hit on a formula that's great, and a lot of it has to do with Stan's philosophy behind the whole Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. So people want to hear him talk. They they like his he they I mean Stan is funny. Yeah, and no, and he's, he's got an the stories and yeah. like yeah, no, and he's he he knows how to market himself too. Like he's been on Robot mm-hmm. Chicken and like yep. these kind of things, like Kevin Smith movies. Like yep. he knows how to make those cameos and those appearances and like kind of milk them for all they're worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's really smart that way. Stanley. Oh, for sure. And he's surrounded by like some very savvy people who know, like there's a Stanley hot toy and I'm like, how did that happen? And they're like, well, Kev, I, we love hot toys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we called them up and said, Hey, why don't you make a Stanley hot toy? And they're like, that's awesome. Let's do a Stanley hot toy. And then it came together. And like the Stanley hot toy comes with a pen and a desk so you can recreate him signing Snap. for you. Uh, so, yeah. So. Do you have that one? No, I don't have that okay. one. But, uh, and then the guy's like, yeah, now I get free hot toys and yeah, samples. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that was what it was all about. There and you go. Was, See? Smart. Yeah, it was funny where people were taking pictures of us. I guess that happens. Yeah. Anyway. You're famous. Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, I'm not famous, but uh, people are like, oh, I wonder who that is. Maybe we'll take a picture and figure it's it out. A, it's a thing of being in a radio station in a bar, right? Yeah. Like, so people come in and, like, they'll see me interviewing somebody and they're like, I'm not quite sure who that guy is, but he's <laughs> got to be somebody. Yeah. Right? So then they take some photos and they're like, I met somebody famous or I saw somebody famous. Yeah. This guy. <laughs> this guy who likes comics. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's fun. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, there you go. I were giving you a little bit more of your fame there oh, other okay. than That's your scary, 15 yeah. minutes, right? So yeah. extending it. So, and then in terms of like, uh, just one last thing on Fan Expo and we'll go into your other endeavors. Who mm-hmm. are you most looking forward to? You kind of touched on a number of names. Mm-hmm. And I know you, you, get, you seem to get all excited too when you talk about like Stan Lee and yeah. Frank Miller and stuff like that. Like as a fan too, like who are you going to like quote unquote line up for? Uh, well, it's tough. I, I, I don't really have time to line up for anybody, but it's nice to just sort of see people in passing in the hallways and, and shake their hands and thank them for coming. I'm a big fan of uh, Invincible. Oh, yeah. yeah. Comics. So uh, I'm really happy that Ryan Otley was able to come to Toronto. Mm-hmm. He was at our Dallas show this year. And, and I've known Ryan for a long time. I bought art from him. Uh, he came to one of the March shows uh, six or seven years ago. And so uh, I've really enjoyed that book. 
oh, I love Invincible. This yeah. is so much fun. And sometimes he just goes crazy and does all these super violent issues where, like, oh, yeah. everybody's it's, covered in like, blood. And yeah, eyeballs, eyeballs popping out. Yeah, yeah, the eyeballs, yeah. yeah. So he, he really has fun with it. And so I'm really, you know, as I said, I'm happy that he's coming. And uh, I'm hoping you know, I'll, I'll score some artwork or I'll see what he's got and make a few purchases there. So, nice. Yeah. No, it's a it's a really solid lineup this year. Like yeah, there's no, a a lot going on. I tried, and you know, it's it's a lot of fun to put a guest list together and try to say, okay, have we got enough for Dar- for Marvel fans? Have we got enough for DC fans? Have we got like an independent guest that somebody's going to be interested in meeting? That kind of stuff. So, and then of course we sit around and we go, oh my god, how are we going to top this year? When we've got Frank Miller, Joe Casada, Stan Lee, Margaret Atwood, Greg Capullo, how are we going to top that? And I'm like. I'm not going to worry about it because yeah. did you know this time last year that we were going to have any of these people? And he says, well, maybe Stan Lee. I say, yeah, but nobody else. Like, it's that's the joy of starting from scratch is you're like, okay, we just put this together and it worked and people were excited about it and the guests are happy and, and hopefully the attendees have had a really good experience. Uh, so now what's next, right? So then you got to start building a show and that's sometimes where fatigue will set in. When you do a lot of shows, it's like, oh my God, how many... Who can I get for this year? Yeah. Who's available? So you got to really have a passion for it. And uh, what's great is that um, they kind of let me do my thing. So I don't have to work in the office. I think if I had to work in the office, I'd be like, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, That's no pants work then day. for you. Yeah, Because exactly. you're just doing a lot of emails and phone calls. and like. Exactly, yeah. So that's what I enjoy about it. And then I just get to go to shows and talk to people. And then, of course, I'm planning... So we're putting the finishing touches on this year's Fan Expo. But I'm I'm booking show like guests for March Toronto Comic Con already, and I'm yeah. booking guests for Tampa Bay and for Vancouver in November and stuff. So I'm always thinking ahead, and then I'm like, oh man, I wish this person was coming to Fan Expo. Like, like Brian Stelfreeze is going to come to 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 Vancouver, and I'm like, man, I know the fans would love to see Brian yes. Stelfreeze here, but he just can't make it work at that time. So. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, put it in the bank. I got to I gotta convince Brian Selfries to come back next year. That kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah. Is it hard with all the demands and stuff too? Because now, like, artists, like, for, artists are a good example where, like, they have to do some social media, obviously. They have to stay mm-hmm. active, which wasn't there a few years ago, no. right? And then um, guys like Francis Manipal, he's a great example where, like, he'll, he'll show bits and pieces of his artwork as it kind of evolves. And mm-hmm. you'll see, like, a detective panel... Yep. From like a rough sketch to like the yeah, final. Yeah, because I'll, I'll pop in in the morning and I'll see a rough sketch and then the next day I'll log on and oh, there's the inked piece and then he's got a colored piece and then, yeah, it's, it's pretty so cool it's to like, see it. And then to add into all that work, then you got to do a con, which then disrupts your like week, yeah. like three or four days, depending on how, because like, you got to fly there, get, you know what I mean? Yeah. So is it, is there some kind of like, uh, like, obviously I know that they're happy to meet the fans and connect with the fans, but is there mm-hmm. some kind of annoyance or like frustration um, sometimes at like having to go to cons and do these kind of things i think more on the publisher side of things so the publishers will say oh this guy's not hitting his deadline but he's at a con every weekend so yeah a lot of publishers are starting to say um there are penalties if you go to a con and your book is late then there's a penalty so that's from my end i'm starting to get some some pushback from artists who are like i'd love to go but i have deadlines so, like, if I don't finish my book, Marvel's not going to be happy. And making Marvel happy is my first priority as their employee. So, um, like, the the conventions were always, like, a bonus. Like, John Byrne was saying recently, oh, yeah, I used to do conventions for fun uh, in and around my regular work. But after a while, they stopped becoming fun and they became work. 
and then when it's work it's not fun i'd rather work right i'd rather sit at my drawing board and just flip on a movie and uh you know take my dog for a walk and stuff like that so no says, pants again yeah, back exactly. to no pants yeah. yeah so that's the thing right so some people love it some people thrive like stan lee thrives on that interaction i think if stan lee didn't have conventions stan lee might have passed 20 years ago yeah just from boredom but he he, he needs that energy and some people need that energy. Like uh, I, I can see Frank Miller starting to sort of feel that energy, and it's helping to sort of bring his spirits up and bring him. Uh, like he had some health issues, so. Um, but you know, it's 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 kind of cool to see that how it affects certain people, and other people are like, "Oh man, DC is going to be on my back because I got to draw this issue of Robin, and it's not going to be late." And you know, so some people are stressed, and that's why you get cancellations at the last minute and things like that. So, you know, I've had a couple of cancellations in the last couple of days, which is unfortunate, but they always happen sort of last minute. So someone who's coming from Croatia says, you know what, I can't take that time away from it because it's, it's like three days of traveling for me to get, or two days of traveling for me to get to Toronto. So I just can't do it anymore. Or, it's understandable in a way, yeah. right? Like, Oh, uh, for sure, yeah. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit now. That was mm -hmm. the Fan Expo stuff, and that's okay. all really exciting. Yep. But. For a little while there, you ran a comic book shop, I comic did, book lounge yeah. down in uh, Little Italy. I did, yeah. So uh, Dragon Lady Comics, which was there for a long time. That was an institution. It was, yeah. It was one of the original two, right? So there was Silver Snail and Dragon Lady, and they were on Queen Street. And then Dragon Lady moved to um, College Street. And they were there for like 20 years on College Street. And then they had to close because their rent was going up, and the owner didn't want to pay the new rate and stuff. So he packed up all his stuff and he left. But we worked at a deal because my friend Sean had uh, the Toronto Cartoonist Workshop, which was a school for aspiring comic creators there. So I said to him, listen, you got this big empty space. Why don't we put a comic shop in the front? He says, that's an awesome idea. Do it. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, I meant you do it. I yeah, was yeah. a suggestion. He's like, no, you you do it, Kev. And then I got talked Never be the guy it. that volunteers an idea. Because no, then he's just like... Exactly. Then that's how you get it. Then you have to put on pants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I had to put on pants and put this thing together. And I, I have a day job. I work at uh, a hospital. I'm in research. Like I, I, I'm a clinical data coordinator on cancer studies. So it's like I need fun stuff to do to keep me focused because it's you know you look at reports and it's depressing and you know you want you want like it's fun stuff to keep your spirits up and that's why I concentrate on comics and things. Um, so doing this was was a lot of work i mean uh taking so we took dragon lady and we built a new store out of it uh without the the stock came from me from my collection a lot of stuff that i had put over the years and then we just started fulfilling keeping fulfilling the orders for the existing dragon lady customers and to build things up and we did a lot of fun stuff like i really enjoyed the the lounge and gallery because we did a lot of book launches there. We did a little art shows. We did like a Francis Manipal art show. And we brought in guests like Andy Belanger and Becky Cloonan from Montreal. And they did an art show. And, you know, we had fun there. Like Mike Del Mundo did a killer art show that launched our whole thing. Um, so it was th that was the fun part of it. And then uh, uh, and the store was doing okay. And then like one year we had like the crappiest winter you could possibly imagine. And it went like january to like may it was like snowing in may yeah and the ttc was slow and people were not going out and people were not spending money i think there was like a borderline recession and stuff like that so 
I started to feel the financial pinch at that point, and we were just not getting people in. And then um, that it's, was... Yeah. It's kind of like we were saying at the top of the conversation, which is like you could read a lot of... More, uh, like the digital stuff started taking off too. Yep. Right? And so then that kind of like... It curtails putting on the pants again yep. and then going to the store if you can just like download something to your iPad instantly. Exactly. If I can stay home and avoid the snowstorm, then that's great. Yeah. And then I don't have to take streetcars and I don't have to walk or do any of that stuff. Then. Uh, and then, um, you know, like a few things happened that I, um, I, unfortunately, my girlfriend passed away in January of 2014. I'm uh, sorry. Thank you. She was, she was epileptic and, um, she passed in her sleep one afternoon so that kind of like i mean for me i put my energy into the store to not think about the bad stuff um so that kept me going for a while but it's like i'm putting all this energy into something that's just not no one's coming out it was like you know the people that shop there appreciated the customer service um and the people that uh, came in for the events and stuff like that were great but it was tougher for me to concentrate on doing the event side of things so i concentrated more on the business side of the thing and then you know the streetcar was down for three months and like it was just like all sorts of things happen on college street that really just you know make me say why am i doing this it's you know it's any business right like you you can develop a business plan as much as you want but Mm -hmm. the universe is not going to stick to your business plan no not at all and I, I, I actually personally blame the city on the Pan, the Pan Am Games for what killed the store, is that uh, in order to get the city ready for the Pan Am Games, they ripped every street up, and they ripped every streetcar route up. And uh, for for those of us who were in the vicinity of U of T, um, people just could not get around. So um, the people didn't come out. So I, I was calling customers who were like. Well, we don't want to come down because construction's happening. So yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, this, this is the depressing part of it. <laughs> we'll get to the fun yeah. stuff, but yeah, I mean, but, but it, but it's also like Silver Snail moved now, right there at yeah. Young and Dundas, and yeah. like the Queen and Street. They've had lo- some challenges too with their new location and stuff. So, uh, and one million comics just moved recently too. Yeah, and yeah, and it's just again, it's just like that's why I, I just wanted to highlight just like. As a veteran like yourself who's been in the scene and mm-hmm. seen Toronto evolve and stuff, yep. it's been really challenging for the stores that we do have. Oh, for sure. I mean, Silver Snail moving from Queen Street to Young and Dundas, and you think Young and Dundas is a great location, but they suddenly learned um, their second floor retailer. Mm-hmm. And we were a second floor retailer on College Street. It's so hard to get people to look up and go up the stairs. Yeah. You can put signs on the street, you can put as many decals on the door, you can put lights on the second floor. But people, are, you know, they focus straight ahead and they see what's in their field of vision and they don't necessarily go up. So I had so many people say to me, oh, I want to go to the new Silver Snow, but I can't find it. And I said, how can you not find it? It's right there at Young and Dundas. Right One of the busiest, the biggest intersections we have in the city. Yeah. But, you know, people and then people say, oh, I don't like it. I don't like that location or it's too dark or something. Happens. I just find yeah. it smaller. Like, yeah. it, it's just like it's just kind of cramped in there. Yeah. It, it doesn't have the same feel. Right? Yeah. So and then uh, they've had some ownership changes recently. And, uh, you know, it's it's there. There are a lot of great stores in the city. So you have to say, why do I shop at Silver Snail? On, and I would say the best reason would be convenience of location and uh and they also do um they're the, one of the only stores that does straightforward u.s cover no discounts uh, other than that but um 
most of the other stores, including my own, we were doing uh, exchange. Mm-hmm. So exchange and then a discount for regulars to reward the people that, that support the the store. But with the exchange rate going up the way it has over the last few years, I mean, at one point it was like 1.4, closing in on 1.5, and then Man. people start cutting back. They start saying, you know what? I was buying 20 comics a month, but now for that same price, um, you know, I've, I've almost doubled my – I, I, so what used to cost the same for 20, uh, I'm only getting like 10 or 12. So you start saying, well, is it really worth it? Or why don't I just wait and buy it for half price on a digital copy and read it that way or something? Like that. I waited wait for, for a lot of so. trades too, yeah. right? That was like another way to kind of cut back on certain things. Like yeah. we talked about the Batman Snyder run. That I was like monthly. I was like waiting mm-hmm. for that with bated breath every month. But other yeah. stuff was like, ah, I'll just trade that. Yeah, yeah. And I actually, uh, I prefer reading in trade or digital myself. I'm not a monthly guy. Although I will, I will buy Marvel Comics monthly because they have the digital codes in them mm-hmm. so i support the, the the company by buying a digital co- like a comic that has a digital copy in it and then i very rarely read the comic and then i give the comic to somebody else and I say i think you'll like this issue of amazing spider-man i don't need to keep that issue yeah you know here you go have fun with it and then you know two people have enjoyed it for the, for the price of one nice right? so, yeah so eventually you had to come to the decision where i guess you kind of like close down the actual physical store yeah. but the the business is still... Yeah, our, our lease was up. And uh, the interesting thing about the lounge concept is, is that it was multiple businesses under the same roof. So when we launched, it was Guerrilla Printing, Toronto Cartoonist Workshop, and Comic Book Lounge. And then Toronto Cartoonist Workshop decided to uh, close down. And Ty Templeton moved his, and did his own school somewhere else. So uh, I took over the space for a while, and we were a big store. And then I was like, you know what? I think I need a third person in here to help us with the rent. So we brought in the Temple of Toys. And so the Temple of Toys was like a vintage toy store. And uh, they were a lot of fun to have in, brought in different people. Uh, You know, they bought graphic novels and comics and stuff like that. But um, it was tougher to do book launches with with the toy store in the front. So then Guerrilla Printing, they decided that they were not doing well at the location. They wanted to move to a different location. And so the lease was up, and we talked about turning the back into an event space. So the people who do Temple of Toys took that over as an event space. Uh, It didn't work out for them, and then they said, we're not renewing. So I was like, okay, so do I want to take on the whole space on my own? I don't think so. Or do I want to find a new place? I'm not sure my head's in it for that. So I'm just going to order, continue ordering for my regulars and doing shows. And that's what I did in uh, spring of 2015. So I moved my stock into a storage unit, concentrated on shows and online business, and then a delivery service. So I did that for a year and a bit. So, and that's where I am now, <laughs> phasing well, that out. Phasing that out. Yeah. Was it as fun, or um, you talked about like doing the shows and stuff like that? Was mm-hmm. it as fun as like the romance of opening a comic book shop? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like an image that people have, and like yeah. you get to hang out or you get to be snooty with people. Like, why are you buying that? And like, yeah, yeah. is it that is that romance accurate, or is it like um, actual just work and business? And there were elements that I enjoyed. I enjoyed doing the ordering, and I enjoyed talking to people about what they liked, and I enjoyed it um, when I could make a recommendation, and they took that recommendation and they followed it and enjoyed what I I, 
So I said, here, you should try this graphic novel out. They would take it home and they come back and say, I really like that. What else can you recommend to me? So then you, you're like, um, we're kind of like a, a bartender. <laughs> it's a, a nice sense, way to right? put it, yeah. We're the comics bartender. It's like, hey, you like that beer? You know, hopefully you'll keep coming back and drinking that beer. And I'll, I'll recommend another thing for you. And maybe you like the food that we serve. And so um, there were the, those aspects. And then there were, of course, like the, you know, you see on Comic Book Men, people come in and hang out. And mm-hmm. they talk comics, and they're part of the landscape of your store. And uh, you know, you think I think of um, like record stores and comic stores and bookstores are unique in that you get people who want to come and hang out and spend their afternoons there talking about records, talking about comics, talking about books. So um, that was the fun part of it. And we were really working hard in those first few years uh, building the social aspects of things. And Debbie was a big part of that too. Uh, with the ladies' nights that we did, so we would close the store, lock the guys out, and women would take over and network. And there's a whole network of friends and things that have come out of the ladies' nights, which are really cool. So collaborations, books like that whole that book that Hope Nicholson edited, uh, "The Secret Loves of Geek Girls," kind of right, came yeah. together because all those people she met at ladies' night in, at the Convo Lounge, and um, you know, creators who are working in the industry now took classes at the Toronto Cartoonist Workshop where they met Ty Templeton. And so, the, you know, the, I, I, I like that we had an impact. Uh, and then I started to see everybody else start to copy what we were doing. And I started to see, oh, Beguiling's doing more events. Oh, uh, Paradise is doing more events. Silver Snail's doing more events. One Million's doing more events. So if you're at Young and Dundas or Young and Wellesley and there's something at college and you know, in Little Italy, it's easier to get there to the other places. So people Makes started sense, going yeah. to those signings instead of our signings and stuff. So it's anyway, I'm not sour. I'm not, I have no sour grapes. It was a fun experiment and it was kind of cool to do for a few years. Uh, but the reality of it is, is it's a lot of work and I would not recommend doing it to anybody doing it. You really have to seriously understand business and look at the business side of things before you go into it. Especially in this climate, like we touched yeah. upon like the digital things and like the challenges now are a lot harder, right? Yeah. Like, Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, I have a certain plan when I do conventions now. There are a lot of things that I would not deal with or carry if I were just, if I were launching a store again, because you just end up with product that sits on a shelf, you know, then they're always pushing new things at you to say, Oh, people are going to want this. People want to get that. So you think, well, you know what? Maybe it ties in with Harley Quinn. Maybe people will buy it. No, no, no one yeah. will care on certain things. But, you know, like pop vinyls, who would have predicted that those would have been as big I as they never, are? I never, not me. I didn't. Yeah. I saw those. I'm, like, I have friends who collect them and they enjoy mm-hmm. them and whatever. But when I first saw them, I'm like, no thanks. What else mm-hmm. you got? Like, yeah. I like a lot of the other action figures and statues mm-hmm. and things like that. The more refined, I guess, refined kind of thing, the more yeah. classy, the way they market them. Yeah. And then, uh, but those things blew up. They are, and they're huge. Uh, I still carry the pops, and I order certain ones, and we'll have a lot of pops at my booth at Fan Expo. But um, now that I'm getting, I'm going to concentrate more on other things. So as a dealer, I want to do more prints and original art and things like that. So That's the stuff I like, yeah. yeah. So I'd like to, you know, right now, they're not, they're, I mean, I, I don't want to, like, I'm not bragging, but I, I, there are certain things that I carry at my booth that other people just don't carry. So that's what I like, is I like to have something unique. Uh, I want, you know, we're the booth where you can go and get every cop. Every, like, if you need an Invincible trade, we've got the full run of trades there. So if you're looking for... A Highly recommended, too. Yeah. 
there's so many great image series too. So I, I actually do order a lot of image product, Revival, uh, Manhattan Projects, uh, Walking Dead, Saga, mm-hmm. of course, is huge. So uh, I just try to make sure that I have a lot of that product on hand so when people are looking for those books or the latest East of West or something like that, then... I'm reading that, but I don't think I understand it. No, I didn't either. <laughs> I, I know, I think I don't I think like I'm smart it. enough to... <laughs> I like it, and I love, I love the artwork, and I love the story, but I don't see where it's going or how it fits together. It's, uh, it's too abstract sci-fi. Yeah, that's but, a good way to put it, like... Yeah. But Hickman, like I read Hickman's uh, Fantastic Four run, and mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah, but it, that took that was a slow burn. Like yeah. it took a while, but once you, like you said, it all came together. Like oh my goodness! Yeah, the same thing with his Avengers run. It yeah, kind of all fit together and it the tied out of in time with Fantastic and Four, and uh, and then Secret Wars was was um, awesome at the start. Yeah, and then <laughs> that just like yeah, and then it kind of lost cohesion. And, what are you yeah. reading these days, or what are you excited about, like? Uh, that's a tough call. So I, I think of what I order each month. So I tried a bunch of the DC Rebirth ones, and I'm really enjoying Superman. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. I was I was nice. surprised. I'm not a big Superman fan at all. And then uh, I haven't read Action Comics Rebirth mm-hmm. uh, since they oh they went back to the numbering. But yeah. the Superman Rebirth, and they just brought back yeah. the Eradicator, and yeah. like I was like, wow, yeah, this whole is... Superman and Son storyline is yeah. really kind of cool. I, I li- I like that it's the Superman that I know too, mm-hmm. and not the. I don't like the new Fifty Two Superman. Yeah, he's gone now, anyways. Yeah. yeah, smell you later. So Take your T-shirt gone. and hit the road. And and the Superman that we read, like that grew up with, and like uh, reading that came with John Byrne and all through the eighties and nineties and stuff like that. The guy who did the whole fight with Doomsday and came back from the dead, he's Superman again. He's the guy. He you know he was in a pocket universe, and then they were living in a cabin in the woods, and he was sort of like a, like a silent protector, and now he's he's superman again and that's fun i've been in i like that it's it's different and then uh batman has been pretty awesome as well uh the whole tom king run so but other ones i'm not really digging so much like i'm not a huge fan of the other dc titles but uh, yeah the i haven't like i said there's still a lot of i haven't read the greg rucka wonder woman yet that's on my pile loves it but yeah i i i thought the first i kind of have an issue with the way they're restructuring the revival in that um uh, you know, the, they're sort of saying we're bringing back stuff from the old universe and elements that you liked, but they're basically saying, you know, a lot of people like that Azarello and Chang. I love yeah. that. That was a great Wonder Woman run. So Ruck is basically saying it's all garbage. Like, I'm yeah, erasing no. that. I'm you spitting know? on your, like, run. I'm like, yeah. but I'm like, I liked it, though. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's weird. It's like, I bought into that story, and now you're telling that one, like, she was fooled by it, or yeah. it was a trick on her? Like, I don't know, just so that he can have his version of Wonder Woman, which isn't a bad version. I enjoyed his Wonder Woman the first time he wrote it, but mm-hmm. it just kind of annoys me. I just like, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. the thing, right? With the, the runs sometimes is like, and Wonder Woman too, she's had like an uneven yeah. origin story and people have added elements, taken away elements and like, so yeah. it's kind of convoluted. Yeah. So... And that's what this is again. It's it's all just more convoluted. Like, yeah. where's Batman? Like the parents hit, like they go down the wrong alleyway, they eat bullets, and then you're done. And that's it. There's nothing Cave, more to it. Alfred studied hard, <laughs> became Batman. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know you can change the way Alfred looks, so you can change the way his costume looks slightly and stuff like that. But Batman as a core element is pretty much right there from what it was in 1939, and Superman to a certain extent the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, Wonder Woman, it's like, where does Wonder Woman fit in? 
like the original comics were like all about bondage and stuff like that the original golden age ones so they're kind of interesting as pop culture icon like uh or like if you're, you're digging through the history of comics but they're not they're not satisfying stories they're not she yeah she has like a there's a gap too because she's a very iconic image and women mm -hmm. will adopt her and feminism and all these yep. things and i understand that but the stories don't necessarily back up the value of the image, though. No. Whereas, like, Batman is very iconic, but with all these great stories, yeah. like Arkham Asylum, Killing Joke, and stuff, to back it all up. So yeah. he's got, like, it's a thick metaphor. I think it's not until you get George Perez and the reinvention in the mid-'80s that you start getting a Wonder Woman that's interesting to read and learn about. Uh, like, at one point in the, in the 70s, they just said, okay, we're taking away your costume, we're taking away your powers. She's going to study martial arts and wear a white pantsuit. Oh, yeah, I remember that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and like, all these leading feminists were like, what the heck are you doing? That's Wonder Woman. She's got to have the costume and the tiara and all that stuff. So they figured a way to bring that back, but then they didn't know what to do after that. It was like... Yeah, and they've had, like, really great writers and artists on them and women yeah. writers. Like, yeah. it's just nobody seems to... It's Aquaman kind of falls in the same category yeah. where, like, yeah. nobody really seems to get a handle on him. He lost yeah. his hand for a while, had that yeah. hook. Yeah. That was not bad. The beard yeah. had to go, though. Yeah, the Peter David run. Yeah. That was kind of different. Yeah, he kind of let himself go with the whole hair and the beard and all that stuff. But, yeah. Uh, and, and it seems that's the Aquaman we're getting in the movies now, right? Is the that's correct. Long hair, yeah. Jason Momoa, you know. Uh, and I'm sure he'll be a good Aquaman, but, you know, like, it's not... To me, Aquaman wears an orange shirt and green pants. you got to do the... you got to keep it real. And yeah. Web feet or whatever he has. <laughs> and <laughs> swims fast and talks to fish, you know? We'll, we'll wrap up in a minute, but I did want to touch upon the Schuster Awards because mm -hmm. this is a really neat thing. And you talked about this at the top where um, how you kind of focus on um, uh, creative comic uh, contributors and, like, you mm -hmm. recognize the Canadian talent that we have. Yeah. Where is that what the impetus was? Was just you wanted to kind of put a spotlight on, uh, well, at the same time, also recognizing well, Schuster think, himself, uh, too, right? His yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, and Schuster's really like the, the patron saint of, of unappreciated artists. He did you get know? that heritage commercial. Yeah. He did. And uh, there are a lot of problems with the heritage commercial, but uh, it the is timing what it is. isn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but people remember that. People, like, the big thing that people remember is that. Hey, the guy that made Superman was was Canadian, and uh, and so the people that I some people that I deal with in the indie community are like, oh, this Joe Schuster wasn't Canadian, you know. I'm like, well, of course he was. He came from Canada. His family lived in Canada, so yeah, he went to Cleveland and he met a guy in Cleveland and they went to school together and they created Superman. But every summer, Joe Schuster was here and drawing and can't like Toronto was his metropolis. Yeah, you know, like so much of like the like the Toronto Star Building is the Daily Planet Building, in the early comics. Like it's just so much influenced him, and so he and his cousin they would go to a lot of movies. They would go to pick up girls. They do all this stuff. Like to them, Toronto was like this super city, and he you know he went to New York later when when the strip took off, and so you know of course he started to see how New York is more like the idea of metropolis. But but in his head it was it was Toronto that he was drawing. And the things that he saw at Young Street and at Bay Street and, and so forth, King and Queen, like all where we are here now, mm -hmm. I'm sure, yeah. So, um, but so, uh, but he also, you know, toiled and his creation would go on to big things, but he didn't necessarily go on to big things. And it wasn't until, 
he was basically destitute that uh, other creators came to his aid and recognized that he needed to be taken care of. And that's sort of the philosophy behind the show Joe Schuster was, is that we need to recognize the people that are working in comics in our country and that they have value, that, they, that they're doing great things. And we recognize people who work in film and television and music in plays and things like that. And we don't really recognize comic book artists and writers and things like that and people who work in the industry, publishers and, and retailers and so forth. So that's that's what we're there for, right? So it's one of the things like when I asked you about like have you seen the evolution of how comics and Toronto scene and everything's growing mm-hmm. uh, conventions as well. One of the things that I've noticed over the last like say 15 20 years is now we have mm-hmm. a better handle on comics journalism as well. Yeah. Right? We didn't we only had really like Wizard back in the 90s yeah. and like it, the journalism was quote unquote a little bit more thin. Yep. Well, it's a lot more people writing about comics, a lot more people reading about comics. Um anybody in a sense right now anybody could be a comics journalist so that's that's kind of it's what twitter is now technically (laughs) exactly so but what what i like is that people are interested in canada's comic history and then you start to see people um it's like so when they did that nelvana project a few years ago so hope and rachel and they kind of did it out of my store right because rachel used to work for me and she's now married to francis manipal but and that's how they met they met at the store Look at uh, you hooking up people yeah, on the, like romance. Yeah, I'm like the Cupid or something like that. Uh, but um, they put together this book and they revived. So their their whole thing was like, here's something cool that we found that nobody knew about. But I'm sort of in the back going, but wait a second, we know about that. We've been doing, we've been recognizing people like that. That's why we have the Joe Schuster Awards. We have a Hall of Fame to tell people about like these people that worked on comics and. So the guy that Dingle, Adrian Dingle created Novana, he was in our first lot of people in the Hall of Fame in 2004 and 2005. So uh, maybe I'm going, oh man, maybe we failed. Maybe we didn't let enough people know about it. But I, I look at the website hits that the Schuster Awards site gets. So I know that people are visiting it every day and they're reading and they're learning about comic creators and librarians are referring people to our website and stuff like that so it's organic so to me it's kind of like i'm glad that we have this this thing out there that people can refer to and say hey here's like the nexus of canadian comics this is where we learn about the 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 heroes and uh i mean that's not in the superheroes but the people the heroic people who make them the creators and uh and we learn about the industry itself we learn about where are where do people live where what kind of publishers are there in canada you know what what you know what kind of scene is there and it's kind of cool to me to see like in the last 15 years that toronto has got a huge scene but montreal's got a nice one halifax got a nice has a nice one calgary and edmonton are growing uh, winnipeg's got a little scene vancouver's got a big one you know you start to see like it's like organic it's like one's growing up here and then there's like like a spore that goes over there and suddenly there's a new comic scene in in like london ontario or something like that and a group of creators who are getting together doing things like drink and draws and you know 24 hour comics yeah so it's just expanding it's all organic it's like we're a virus we're going to take over the whole world that's nice yeah do the conventions fuel that virus or like conventions do for sure yeah 
and and things like TCAF as well, the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, and there's a Vancouver Comic Arts Festival, which are f- fundamentally different from what like a show like Fan Expo will do. Yeah. But we do have different. We have a lot of the same elements and a lot of crossover. Uh, you know, Fan Expo is about retail and creators and celebrities and meeting and talking and doing all these things. No cosplay too. It's more yeah. like uh, refined nerdery. Yeah. yeah, TCAF is very much like. Oh, leave your cosplay costume. Uh, in fact, they've got some of their advertising. They're like, "Don't dress up." Yeah, yeah, which is kind of insulting. Like people are going to express their. You can't turn around and say, you know, Scott Pilgrim is amazing, and then say, and you who've dressed up as Ramona Flowers, you have no place here at this. Can't do that. The guy, the person's a fan of Scott of Brian Lee O'Malley and Scott Pilgrim. They're showing their love, right? Mm-hmm. This is what they're doing. They they've they spent time crafting a costume. There's nothing wrong with that expression, is is my my point of view. So love is love. Exactly. Yep. And so Fan Expo is uh September one through four. That's right. Yep. Uh passes and everything are still available, right? There's yep. like weekend passes, day passes. Yep, I think we've we've reached the point where if you order a pass you can't have it mailed to you in time. I think that window's closed now, but you can definitely still order online and pick up at the show or you can just buy at the box office and uh, at some point we'll probably stop selling Saturday passes but uh, I know that we're still selling weekend passes all right yep one last question before you go have you ever done cosplay because we talked about okay I've never done cosplay either I don't even wear t-shirts with with logos on them okay I'm I'm like the exact opposite simple man yeah I wear like black t-shirts and shirts and yeah you know I don't I don't uh I think one year for Halloween, I did. I was dressed up as Ash from The Evil Dead. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah actually, you yeah. can pull that off. Yeah. So I just had like a blue shirt and some scars and put my hand in my shirt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was about as much as I did as far as that. And that was a Halloween costume, and and I felt awkward the entire time that I did it. Yeah, because you so, lose your hand too, right? Yeah. Like, I know some of them are harder than others, right? Yeah. Like I've been in the bathroom where like Darth Vader has to take off like the cod piece and come oh, yeah, up, yeah, like. Like you you got to build a zipper to, do, to that. Uh, yeah, you got to be like an astronaut and yeah. put a bag in there or something like that. <laughs> That's it. There <laughs> yeah. you go. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin, so much for coming in yeah, and just no like Thanks hanging out and in. having some beer and talking comics. This is and fun. It's, so, it's such a unique thing. It's, I feel like we're just chatting in a bar. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's what we do. So yeah. we just turn on the mics, though, and we just keep it all on the record. But other than that, it's just the same discussions we normally have with the other nerd uh, mm-hmm. geek friends. So Cool. Thank you. All right. Yeah, no problem.